home. Today's not a message of forgetting everything in 2020 and moving on to 2021, because honestly, we can't forget everything. You know, we want to. We're the people that just wants to just forget about it all and just move on. And we want to take scriptures like Paul was talking about, where this one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind and reaching for the things that are before me. I press toward the mark of the high calling and the prize, you know, Jesus Christ. But we can't. There's some of y'all, you've been married forever. Some of y'all were married, uh, I think maybe Noah performed the ceremony on the ark. Uh, you know, you've been married for a long time, right, Brother Carl? And, uh, and you can't forget all those years. And what we try to do is we try to sift this thing out and forget the bad and remember the good, you know, and that's the best things that we can do. But even some of us, if we're honest, we can't even forget all of the bad. Sometimes the trials and the things that we walk through, we never forget them because of one reason. They hurt us deeply, but also we grew and we saw God and we felt God's grace in that moment more than we ever have in our whole lives. And so we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to say. We can't throw out all the bad trials that we've gone through because if we do... And we also throw out the thing like Brandon sang last Sunday, if I never had a problem, I wouldn't know that God could solve them. I wouldn't know what faith in God could do. So if we throw out all of 2020, then we really won't understand where God was with us and see him with us. And so I hope that you understand I'm not trying to do a New Year's thing or anything like that. I'm trying to preach what I think would be the best thing every single year, every single day really, but every single year to look at this kind of scripture right here because there's some very big things. We are called to be disciples of Jesus Christ. A disciple of Jesus Christ means that we are mimicking, we are imitating everything that he does. Even the scripture tells us, Jesus told us, Brother Carl says, that we should strive to be therefore perfect even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. And I know that we all come together, and as much as I strive to do that, I have a constant reminder that I'll never be perfect, okay? But understanding what that word means, it's not perfection like you'll never have any flaws. What it means is that you would be a mature. The original word there means that you would be a grounded and rooted Christian, a mature Christian in the Lord. The Lord wants us to be that every day. And I think sometimes we get this thing of just coming to church, coming by church, uh, giving tithe, doing all this stuff. We get so wrapped up in that that's the only thing that God really wants of us, and that is so shallow. That is so small and minute compared to what God really wants to do with us. God wants to use you. God chooses to use you, which is absolutely great, and he chooses to use you and desires to use you in a way to where he wants you to mimic everything that his son did. You know, Jesus being here on this earth, it wasn't all about like the feeding the 5,000, to heal the sick and raise all the dead and all of those things. It was that he came to walk in our shoes. And as he walked in our shoes, he gave an example of everything. Even when he, uh, excuse me, when he washed the disciples' feet, he told them, he said, this example I've given unto you, I, this service that I've done, I've done it so that you would do it unto other people. Jesus, basically, Brother Butch, what it was, was that we had done so wrong throughout all of the years and missed God on everything the Israelites did too, that God sent his own son to walk in our flesh, in our shoes, to show us the greatest example of what being a disciple is. Years ago, great orators as uh, Aristotle and Socrates, all of these, but Aristotle, as they would speak, they also had what they would call disciples. And the disciples were people that mimicked and copied everything that they did. So that when Aristotle or others were sick or that they had 
uh, places that they could not get to because of something happening in their own family, that disciple went and spoke in their place. And it is said in the history books about their disciples that they mimicked them and looked like them, dressed like them, walked like them, and talked like them so much to where the way that they pronounced their words that there many people in the crowd could not even tell that there was a difference. That's what we're supposed to be doing. God's not wanting you just to go out and go, okay, he made me like this and I do all this stuff. No, 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 no. He created you wonderfully and fearfully in your mother's womb. All this stuff that you think that, okay, God made me like this. No, that's stuff you picked up along the way. That God's trying to change about each and every one of us. And he wants us to be, what? Transformed into the image of what the scriptures say, his dear son. And so we're to mimic and we're to mock everything. Years ago, I don't remember if it was the 90s or the late 80s or when it came out. But remember the bracelets that came out. It had to be like uh, the early 90s, mid 90s. About when I was in 10th grade, 11th grade or something like that. It was the bracelets. It said WWJD. You know, everybody went to the bookstore and bought all those things. And it was like, I never saw anyone go, when somebody made them mad, they went, okay, well, I'm going to calm down. Because it was supposed to be, what would Jesus do in a situation like this? And it was supposed to be a constant reminder. I wore mine out because I never could get it down pat of what Jesus would do. So I had to wear the bracelet all the time. But we're to, we're to mimic everything that he does. And Paul in the scripture Man, I hope that you hear, hear the heart of this scripture today. And I, I, I get excited. I know I preach long, but it's because the word is so good. Hopefully you'll stay with me, stay focused today. I hope they not put you to sleep today. But look at the scriptures with me. Look at verse number 1, chapter 2 of 2 Timothy. Look at verse number 1, and we'll see it. The Bible says, Thou therefore, my son... Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Let's pause right there just for a moment. If we want to look at this for what it is saying, we have to stop at the very beginning. And we have to look at who's being addressed. Paul, which is the preacher or evangelist of all evangelists in the whole Bible, he's addressing a young pastor man, a young man in the faith named Timothy or Timotheus, and he's trying to get a hold of him, and he's trying to, to share something with him that he wants to stick with this guy. And so there's times that I've looked at my boys and I've said, Andrew, you need to pay attention to me now because I was frustrated and they were being disobedient and I came at them in this phrase. If you don't listen to me, I'm going to, and he can fill in the rest, right? Uh, right? But there's other times that I really want them to pay attention and I go, hey, listen to me. I want to share something with you. And I want you to hear Timothy. He says, thou therefore. Look at those words. Just in, in, in our words, that you therefore. He says, you. God is not doing a scripture today where you can say, you know, Brother Philip, that, okay, this belongs to this person over here today. I'm, you know, that, that Steve's going to have to get that, or Nick's going to need that part right there. No, he says, you. Immediately, Paul is letting Timothy know, I'm not talking to Barnabas, I'm not talking to Silas, I'm not talking to John Mark. Timothy, I'm talking to you. I want you to listen to me. And listen, he says, you, and then he says, my son. Now, we, we could accuse Paul of being from the South by saying, my son, you know. We could accuse him of being like Foghorn Leghorn, the old, you know, the old rooster guy, you know. I say, boy, pay attention, boy. But we could say that, but really and truly, Paul now is showing his heart. Paul is opening up his heart to Timothy, and he's revealing his tender side of it all. He has something strong to share with him, but he also, Brother Nick, goes, but I want you to know, my son, Timothy, did not have that dad of the faith. 
Timothy's dad was a Greek man who worshipped false gods. Timothy's dad did not lead him to the Lord Jesus Christ. It was Timothy's mother and his grandmother that brought Timothy to the Lord. The Bible says Paul told Timothy that I am reminded of the faith that is in you, the unfeigned faith that is in you, that was given unto you, now listen to these two southern women's names, by Lois and Eunice. It's the only time in the Bible where I go, I know those folks. You know, it's not Rehoboam and Ebed Melech. It's Lois and Eunice. And he says it was his mother and his grandmother that did that. So think about Timothy for one moment, Brother Bill. Put ourselves in Timothy's shoes before we go on with the Scripture and understand that Timothy probably prayed every day for his daddy to be saved. Probably was broken by that, but was very thankful for his mother and his grandmother that put the Word of God in him and the faith of Jesus Christ in him. And Paul says, listen, Timothy, thou therefore, my son. He wasn't his daddy, and he wasn't his biological father, and he wasn't his adopted father, but Paul was Timothy's father of the faith. And he was saying, you may think you have nothing, but let me share something with you, my son. Can you hear that? Isn't that awesome? If you only understood what it's like to not have a father, earthly father that was in your life when you were young, you would take hold of this scripture a little bit more. There's some even in this church that understands this scripture better than we can understand it because we've had our earthly fathers there for everything that we've done, for every ball game we've played, for every bad report card we brought home. Might not have wanted around back then, but for every report card we brought home. And there's some in here that can understand and say, I know what Timothy, I know what he's going through. And Paul says, Timothy, thou therefore my son. Now listen, we'll go to the next part. Be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses that's heard them, he said, take that same thing and commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore, he says it again, you therefore, Timothy, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if any man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. The husbandman that laboreth must first be partaker of the fruits. And then he says, Timothy, think about, consider what I say, and the Lord give the understanding in all things. If, if we take into account what's going on right here in this second epistle that Paul's written to Timothy, he's basically kind of given him words of, man, I'm not going to be here forever. And I, I'm leaving this walk of life later on in scriptures we read where Paul says, I've fought a good fight. And I've kept the faith. You know, he run his race. And so Paul is now saying, Timothy, somebody's got to share the gospel with people when I'm gone. He's saying, Timothy, and, he, and never once, Brother Carl, did he ever ask Timothy, you do like I do. You be me. He wasn't saying that. He was saying, let me share with you what God has showed me, and you be like Christ. That's what being a disciple of Jesus is. He never, listen, we, when we preach, we are not to preach about Paul, preach about Moses, and preach about Abraham without showing that it's Jesus Christ that saved all those folks. We're not to talk about uh, Tabitha or Dorcas in the Bible that actually made quilts for the church and stuff like that without showing that Jesus Christ is the Savior of that person's soul. And so many times we get caught up with people in the church and pastors of the church and evangelists and all this, and they overwhelm us so much, and then all of a sudden they go out into sin, and we're devastated. You know why? Because you're not supposed to look at them. 
You're supposed to look at Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, Timothy, let me share something with you. If you're going to be a disciple, son, if you're going to be a true follower of Jesus Christ, and you're going to walk this narrow walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to have to have some of these things in your life. The first thing that he says, if you write this down, I promise you it will help you throughout this year and the next year and any other bad year or good year that will come. First thing he says, if you're going to be a disciple, you need to be convincing. You need to be convincing. And what that means is, is you need to be strong. You need to be established. You need to be rooted. You need to be grounded. You need to be in set up like concrete set up. He said, you need to be convincing. He says, thou therefore, look at verse 1. He says, thou therefore, my son, he says, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. He says, be strong. <laughs> listen, out of the gate, Timothy's confronted with this word right here about Paul, about, listen, you need to have strength. And he's confronted with it in a way to where you go, all right, why, why did Paul come out of the gate with this? Why did Paul, Paul's first statement, why did he say, Timothy, you need to be strong in the grace that's found in Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus? Why would he do that? I imagine that Paul in his ministry had people that come in and go, man, we're going to do great things together, and we're going to join together, and we're going to go into ministry, and he was let down a lot of times. There was even a time in Paul's life where he and Mark, or John Mark of the Bible, were actually at, at uh, enmity with one another. They were in disagreement with one another because Paul was going out on a missionary journey, and when he went out there, he got the people that were going with him. He said, you need to be dedicated. It's going to be tough, and we're going out to share the gospel of Jesus. You need to be committed. You need to be convincing and be strong. And when he got out there, John Mark came back to his family. And so Paul held that against John Mark, and he was upset with him about it so much that his cousin came came along by the name of Barnabas and said, Paul, we need to mend these ways again. John Mark is a good man, and he's a godly man, but we need to mend the ways. But Paul couldn't depend upon him, and so Paul felt the suffering and the hurt of going out in ministry and people letting him down. Because when it got tough, people would back up. And so Paul comes out of the gate with Timothy. Now listen, before you get all upset, Paul and John Mark mended their ways. And Paul said about John, he said, there's not another one that I would trust. He said, he's a great man and everything was good. So let's not get the soap opera messed up. But whenever Paul wanted to do ministry, he said, you need to be strong. And look at the words he said. He said, son, be strong. It even happened to Jesus. Jesus was there as he was preaching. He was healing people, and he was feeding 5,000 as long as he was barbecuing and cooking and breaking fish and giving bread out. And as long as he was healing sick folk, everybody loved Jesus. Everybody would come over to him. But when he was in the synagogue teaching the truth, the Pharisees hated him. The scribes hated him. When he told them about the resurrection of the dead, the Sadducees hated him. When he told them about the truth of God's word, then all of a sudden the people began not to follow Jesus. He, As long as he was doing miracles and feeding people, everybody loved him. But whenever Jesus began to speak hard things like this, that whoever follows me, let him deny his family and deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, they knew exactly what he was talking about. When he said take up their cross and follow me, he was talking about are you willing to go all the way to death with this? And people, the Bible says in the next portion of the scripture, and from that hour, many of the disciples went away because they weren't in it for that. Now, we'll go all the way up to here, but we're not going to that. And Jesus looked at the disciples, and he said, what? He said, will you go away also? He said, who do men say that I am? And all of a sudden, Miss Peggy, they said, well, some people say you're Elijah that's come back from the dead. You know, and why would they think that he's Elijah? Because that's what they wanted. See, what we want is what we turn people into. You know what I'm saying? 
just like church has been done throughout years, is that whatever style we like, we need to turn the church into that because that's what we want instead of just saying, God, this is what do you want from us? You know, and then all of a sudden they said, you're like Elijah. Because why? Because Elijah called down fire, Brother Nick, and killed 400 and something prophets of Baal that day. And they were wanting Jesus to call down fire from heaven and kill all these Romans. Then they said, some say that you're John the Baptist. Why would they say John the Baptist? Because John the Baptist was going around preaching, repent. The kingdom of heaven's at hand. Herod, you're committing adultery with your brother's wife and stuff, and you need to repent. And he got his head cut off because, wow, they wanted judgment. They wanted the judgment of God to fall on the Roman people. But Simon Peter spoke up, and he says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. You know what he said? He said, you're the Messiah. You're the one that we have waited and prayed for all these years. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And you know what Jesus said? He said, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. Because why? He, all he had was a, a Gentile or a Galilean fisherman's education. Not a Gentile, but a Galilean fisherman's education. Anybody have a fisherman's education in here? It ain't much. It ain't much at all, right? And we get, he had, no, the only PhD he had was a postal digger. That was all. Listen, he goes over there and he looks at him and he says, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. In other words, it's not because I fed 5,000. And it's not because you've heard me speak. He said, but my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. See, there's some things in our life you can hear message after message after message, but if you don't hear the Holy Spirit, you won't hear anything. And so Jesus said, that they left and they walked away from him. And that's what Paul's saying. And so Paul tells Timothy, you want to be a disciple of Jesus? He said, son, you therefore, son, be strong. That Greek word is endunamao. Endunamao. The last portion of that word, dunamao, that is dynamite. Boom, dynamite power, right? Or, or, or as J.J. used to say on the good time, dynamite. I like that better. That's my favorite part. Dynamite. But when you put that prefix in there and it's in dunamao, it actually means this, to be endued or given or to be uh, handed that power. And what Paul was trying to tell Timothy is that God does not want your strength because your strength is not enough. Men, listen to me more than any other thing. Listen, women try to be tough too, but men, especially in America today, we think that we need to be strong and we need to stand strong and that we don't need to weep and we don't need to cry. We don't need to let people see us sweat and all these things. We need to be strong. And I got to be strong for my wife and I got to be strong for my kids and I got to be strong for this. You can't be strong and your strength is not enough when it comes to walking with Christ. Because there will come a day, as there have been many days in this guy's life who has tried his best to be as strong as he possibly can, that you will hit the wall. Listen, you will hit a wall, and you will find out that your strength is not sufficient enough. You'll find out when you can't fix her, okay? When you can't mend her broken heart. And you can't fix your wife or your daughter or your son because they have been shattered by what life has done, even by what sin has done or death, the last enemy, has brought. You'll find out that you won't have enough strength, that your righteousness will not be righteous enough. Your wonderful justification will not be enough for other people. Your strength and all of that stubbornness that you think that you have will not be enough. And you'll hit a wall. And when you hit that wall, you'll understand this word, undanamao, which means you can only be strong by what? Look what it says, in grace. <laughs> in the grace that's found in Christ Jesus. 
you can only be as strong as Christ that dwells in you is strong. And the reason that we're so weak at times is because we are self-dependent upon our own strength. And it always comes up to never enough. Have anybody ever felt like it's never enough? You're never sufficient enough. You're never enough. And the reason is, is because you can't walk as a disciple of Jesus without Christ being enough in you. He must be sufficient enough before you could ever be that way. Listen, Timothy is not listening to Paul and Paul saying, Timothy, you need to work on your strength. It's not strength that can be worked on. It's not something that you can actually go to the gym and work out and get this thing. It is only found through the word and through prayer and on our knees saying, God, we need strength. I am weak and Lord, you are strong. Listen to what he says in Philippians chapter 4. It's our favorite scripture. Read it with me. Say it out loud. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Some translations try to take Christ out of there and replace it with, I can do all things through him which strengtheneth me. And they give it a capital letter, but in the Greek, in the original, it is Christos and it is Christ. Because, listen, it is not, I can do all things through Paul, I can do all things through Timothy, I can do all things through Steve, or I can do all things through Heath. It has got to be, in your walk with the Lord, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Only him. And then you'll find this big coincidence right here in our scripture. As Paul told Timothy, be strong in dunamao, be strong, receive strength, is what he was saying, in the grace that's found in Christ Jesus. Here in this scripture, in that word that's in the yellow there, in strengthen, it is the same Greek word. I can do all things through Christ, which in dunamao, me. In other words, which puts the power in me. Okay, And then look at this scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he hath counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, listen to this, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Look back at verse number 12. This is right before. Brother Bill is a deacon in here. I don't know if there's a, Brother David is a deacon in here. And, um, and uh, I don't know if anybody else is a deacon. Anybody else? Deacon? Okay, but if you think about it like this, this is right before, Brother Bill, chapter number two. We obviously know that, and I know that you're thinking, well, that was a very intelligent thing. No, it's just because that's Timothy one. I know two comes next. Timothy, first Timothy chapter number two, it lays out this thing that many people want to call the qualifications of a deacon. And it begins to lay out what we should look for in a godly man that would help be a servant leader of the church. And they all look at this stuff and they go like this. Okay, Nick, you can't do it because, I don't know, you're, you're greedy of filthy money. Okay, let's just say that. I don't know. He don't have any. Maybe he is greedy of it. Uh, but, and, and then he can't do it because of something else, you know. And uh, you can't do it. And that's what people do. And what we have done in the house of God, and God forbid that we continue on this way ever in our lives, what we have done is we now have gone, you can't, and you can't, and you can't, and you can't, and instead of telling everybody, we have a service that we can do. 
No matter what God has, or no matter what sin has brought in your life, and you found forgiveness in Christ, we can do all things through Christ which strengthens us. Not everybody's a pastor, and not everybody's a deacon. Not everybody does all that. Not everybody is a quilter, right? <laughs> I don't do that. Not everybody does all those things, but everybody can serve. And in the church, we have went around with a spiritual soul patrol gun, and we're shooting everybody going, you can't, and you can't, and you can't, and you can't. And when it really boils down to it, none of us can. Because there's nothing good about any of us. No matter what your mama told you. Nothing good about any of us. And Paul, before he ever gets to what we call the qualifications of a deacon and looking for godly men, Paul says this, every day I thank Christ Jesus. Brother Bill, he says, I am so thankful for Jesus because he's enabled me. And he has found me faithful and he put me into the ministry. What he's saying is, is while all other things disqualify me from ever doing anything with the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm glad that through Jesus Christ, he has enabled me. And yes, big coincidence, the same word, indunamao, which means he has put his power in me. He has enabled me to do this. He said, I was before, look at verse 13, I was before a blasphemer. And I was a persecutor. And I was injurious. He said, I even injured and killed the people of God. He said, but I did it ignorantly. He said, I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and in unbelief. And he says in the next verse, in verse 14, in the grace of our Lord Jesus, or our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul tells us that it's all because of the strength that God puts in him that he's strong. Did you know that Paul... Is just like you and I, and that he spent a time of prayer most of his life in prayer. Do you know that he spent it going, God, take something away from me. God, take this away from me. We don't know what it was that Paul had. The Bible calls it a thorn in the flesh. Uh, the Bible also calls it a, a, a messenger of Satan to buffet Paul. In other words, a, a, a devil to get him off his mark. Uh, basically, a, uh, a heckler in the crowd to get Paul off the mission that he was on. And it was sent by the devil. And he asked God, we know of three times, Lord, take this away from me. Paul, the preacher of all preachers and the evangelist of all evangelists, God tells Paul in his prayer, listen, oh God, please take this away. If God wanted to do anything for anybody, he wanted to do it for Paul. And God says, no. And that would have been at the point where, he, why? What do you mean? Paul says, please take this away. We don't know if it was his self-esteem. Paul was beaten with rods and with whips and everything, and we don't know what Paul looked like, but we do know that his image or his, his visual appearance was not well. The Bible says that it wasn't well. Even his eyes were dim, all of this stuff. He said there was a time to where he was beaten so bad. He said, some of you, he said, would have even plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. We don't know what Paul was going through. And he says, and now all of you hate me because I tell you the truth. Uh-huh. God, take this away. God said, nope, I'm not taking it away. Why? Three times. He said, but I'll tell you what. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. And what he was saying is, in Dunamao, my power and my grace is sufficient. When Paul, in his prayer, and listen, you got to go to this. you got to go to this time in your life. 
when you felt like you could not take another step, anybody ever been there in your prayer life, you could not take another breath, another wave was going to come over and swamp your head again, and you could not breathe, and you were saying, God, please take this away. Fast forward this experience. Get me out of this problem. God says, no. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you through all of this that my grace, my dynamite power is sufficient for you. That he was saying, Brother Bill, you're not going to go under, Paul. You may feel like it in your prayer that you can't take another step, but you're not going to go under because my grace is sufficient for you. And let me remind you, Paul, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. My strength is made perfect. And what he means is, is that when you are down to the bottom of it all, I can remember being a fat 10-year-old kid. I can remember being a fat kid my whole life, but a fat 10-year-old kid at this moment. And we were at Panama City and uh, Shipwreck Island. Anybody ever go to the Redneck Riviera and go down to Shipwreck Island in their summer times? And man, we'd go down there every summer. And I couldn't wait till the day we went to the Shipwreck Island in the daytime and we were going to the Miracle Strip Park that night. You know what I mean? I loved every bit. I was ready for it all. And I can remember getting out there as a 10-year-old boy, and I was out in the wave pool, and I got, I was, every year I'd go out deeper and deeper and deeper and I'd do all the slides, and I'd get a little bit braver or a little bit dumber every year. And I can remember being out there, Mom and Dad, they were off, they were up on the bank and, or on the thing on the wave pool where they're just laying out. And I go all the way out there, and I'm literally holding onto the bar on the side of this pool, and I'm going down. I think I'm about to die because I cannot breathe. The waves are coming up, and they're just choking me, and I'm looking up at the lifeguard, and I, and I know I had the look in my eyes of, what are you doing? Get down here and help me. I was screaming for help, and it was like, nope, we can't stop this thing. Once the waves come, you can't stop it. There's been many times in my life that I have felt that exact same way. I felt the exact same way. Wave after wave after wave after wave. Even this year alone, wave after wave. And you feel like you're going down. You feel like each breath that you take in is just another amount of water that's just going to drown you. But then in prayer, in the sweet hour of prayer, he reminds you, Steve, Carl, whoever, my grace in those moments are sufficient. And what he means by that is like, don't ever forget that I am enough. I am enough. That, son, I don't expect you to be strong because you in your own flesh cannot handle what we're going through. No, you need me. You need my grace. And my grace is perfect, made perfect in weakness. You remember the story about Jesus being at the temple at 12 years old? He wasn't there at 13. The scriptures tell us he was about 12 years old, you know, when he was there. And I've often wondered about that. And I think about the Jewish laws and stuff. And at 13 in the bar mitzvah, and they become a man and they understand the word of God. Well, he was there at 12. You know, it's like Jesus comes in before all the party comes on. And he's there. The Bible even says that his family, his mother and his father, they leave him. They don't even go, he's gone. I mean, they're, they're a day's journey, a 22 or 26 miles away, a day's journey away from it. And somebody goes, hey, where's Jesus? You know, can you imagine being the one, you know, that lost Jesus? You're the parents and you messed up so bad, you don't even know where Jesus is at. He, they go back and they find Jesus in the temple and he's teaching doctors and scholars of the word of God. And they're dumbfounded at all the wisdom that he knows about it. You know why? Because he's the word of God, teaching the word of God. And Mary even goes, you know, where are we at? And he tells her, woman, 
I told you, I told him this morning, I was like, not many people can get away with calling your mom a woman. I may have gone to Bible with it one time, but then after that, whatever come at me, I didn't say it anymore, did I, mama? Woman, he said, woman, what is that to me? I must be about my father's business. <laughs> right? It's, it's not that easy, but Jesus, you remember at that time, the Bible says when he left there, the only scripture that we have about Jesus from then until when his earthly ministry started was this small phrase, and he waxed stronger in the Spirit of God. And what that means is, is that he grew stronger in the Spirit, in the Holy Spirit, in the Spirit. He grew stronger and stronger. And you go, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why would Jesus ever have to go, grow stronger? You remember, he's walking in our shoes. He's not growing stronger because of the thing, okay, Jesus is just dumb. No, no, no. He's walking in your shoes to give you an illustration of what you need in your life. And Brother Bill, it was him showing the dependency. Every year, should Jesus have gone to Passover? I mean, he's the Paschal Lamb. Should he have gone to Passover every year? No, he didn't have to. He's the Son of God. But did he? Yeah. You know why? To set an, set an example. Did Jesus need to be baptized himself because he had sin and needed to be remitted of his sins? Absolutely not. You know what he was doing? He was identifying himself with you. He identified himself with flesh. That's why when we're baptized here or the creek, that what we're doing is that thing can't save you. That creek can't save you. That old baptistry we had, you'd have to get a tetanus shot if you got baptized in that thing. And not that it can't save you. It, water doesn't wash sins away. Blood washes the sins away. But what it is, is when Jesus was baptized and identified his life with us, we are baptized identifying our life now with him. Amen? That as he was buried, we will be buried. And as he was resurrected, we'll be resurrected. We got to go on. I don't know why a preacher gets to preaching so much. But look, look at this next thing. That was the first one. The next word is this, investing. We must be investing Christians. Paul says in verse number 2, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. He said you need to take what you know in the word of God and commit it to other people. That word commit in the Greek is paratathemi. Paratathemi. I don't say these words to make you think that I'm intelligent because you all know me and you know I'm not. I share these words with you because they go really, really deep. They go deeper than just one word. Even the word love in the Bible has actually four different ones that's used in the Greek to explain what that word means. And so we must go to the original sources sometimes to find out that paratathemia, it means this. It means to make a deposit. Make a deposit. You know, I, I, I keep change. If there's a coin shortage, I want it to be at my house because I'm going to have them all, okay? If I go to the bank and there goes a coin shortage, that means I got more at my house, all right? I love keeping the coins. I, I come home every day when I go into my bedroom. I take my watch off. It's broke now. I take my ring off. I put my wallet up there, and I take all the coins and put my knife up there. I take all my coins out of my pocket, and I have a bucket over there by the dresser, and I drop it down into that bucket or a box right now and drop it down into that box. When I go into the living room and, or in the kitchen and there's money on the bar, hey, I don't even ask them. You know what I do? I go. They didn't want it. They didn't want it, did they? They left it there. Look, when I go in there and Patty's got money laying on the washing machine because people, like my sons, have left change in their pockets and stuff, you know what I do? Slide them off into my hand. Walk into my bedroom and I go, ching. Put them in that bucket. Love it. Listen, if you understand, I try to keep things together. 
But if you understand what it's like to sit home and roll quarters in order to get something because you don't have money, you'll know what I'm talking about. And I, I brag on that. I don't, I don't weep because we didn't have a whole lot. I weep because, thank God, we had just enough. Always just enough. We were the house that was the, the middle porch or whatever you want to call it. It was just enough, okay? And listen, I love to get that change out. Whenever it get, builds up to a big amount, I like to do this. I like to pick it up. You know what I mean? Patrick, I like to pick it up because I know, oh, it's heavy. <laughs> the heavier it is, the more paper it makes for me, right? And so I go over there, and now we, we can, we used to, we had to lay out and roll all of that stuff. You had to write your account number and your name and all these things. Some of y'all don't even know what I'm talking about, and some of y'all do know what I'm talking about. And you'd have to write all that stuff out on there, you know. You, you may be like my sons. They go, here, Dad, you want the change to this, and it's just a few, you know, coins and stuff like that. And I go, yep. They don't even care to have it in their pocket. That's fine. Just go in there if you want to and put it in that box. But then when I came home one day with $278, where did you get that? <laughs> it was laying in there by the bed. What do you mean? It was on the bar. What do you mean it was on the bar? Yep, it was just laying there. There ain't no way. Yes, it was And when I put it in there. And I love these machines now. I don't like the ones that want to take eight cents of every one of my dollars. But I like the one we had at the bank. You can go over and pour it in there. And I felt like I was on uh, 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 Let's Make a Deal or on the show with Bob Barker. You know, the, the price is right. And, and that thing was going, ching, ching. It was like a gas meter going, but in my favor. And I brought home that money and stuff. You know why? Because every day I made a deposit. Every day I made a deposit. See, here's where you mess up and we mess up in our Christian walk and our discipleship. We think we've got to have a crowd to preach to or to speak to in order to be effective in depositing the word into them. We think we've got to have a small group. We think we've got to have at least seven or ten. We think we have to get into people's faces and try to share the gospel with them and stuff. And they don't want your dragon breath breathing on them. We think we've got to do all this stuff. Nope, you know what you can do? One deposit. Daily deposits into people's lives. Giving them a scripture. You know where my favorite place to do it is? When I'm getting blood drawn out of my arm. I figure they can't go nowhere and I can't either. And so I love it. I always joke around. I lighten things up with a joke and they go, well, Mr. Abney, which arm would you like? I was like, this one right here. Right here. You don't like that other one, do you? And it's always conversation. You don't like it? No, I don't. That's why I pointed to this one. If I liked that one, I would have pointed to that one. That's what I was thinking in my mind. But I always tell them, if I ever get a tattoo, which I'm not fond of, I said, but I get one that says right here. Because whenever I get stuck, they stick me and they move it and move it. And I'm like, it flows right here. The other day, I told a lady, I said, it's right here. It goes this way right here. I wasn't trying to be a smart aleck. I was just diabetic. I have my blood drawn all the time. She stuck it in the other way. I almost took the needle out and stuck it in the same the way that it needed to be because she didn't know. And she went, well, it's just not there. I said, no, it runs this way. And she turned it. And she went, well, well, there it is. And I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was trying to keep my cool. I said, if I was to get a tattoo, it would be an arrow or an X right here, you know. And then I like, talked to her, hey, hey, whoa, take it easy with that blood. That's precious blood. But it isn't as precious as Jesus' blood. Door opener. Bing. Deposit. I don't have to get the return from it. No, just as long as I deposit some. And when he says commit this to faithful men, the word commit there, paratatheme, it means make a deposit 
every day into faithful people's lives. Text somebody and say, Brandon, I hope God's with you today. Call somebody and say, hey, I just want you to know, listen, I'm praying for you. And God woke me up this morning with you on my heart, and I'm praying for you. Is there anything specific that I can pray? Just one quarter at a time, one deposit at a time. Don't think you have to win the whole world in one testimony time. Just do deposits every day is what he told Timothy. Be an investor. You know why we have to be investors of the gospel? Because we're not saviors. We're not saviors. I know this is very odd to you, and I'm a very weird person, but it's okay because we're all weird together. I'll never forget going in the restroom. You don't, you don't read stuff when you go to the restroom. I've taught my kids that for years. You, you, if you get a book if you want to read. Don't read stuff on the bathroom wall. And some smart aleck one day, they, they wrote, Jesus saves over the bathroom. And, and, and some smart aleck come along and said, yep, but Moses invests. And I was like, well, you little smart aleck, you. And then I thought about it, and I went, you know what? He's probably trying to be a smart aleck, but you said the truth. Because only Jesus can save. Only thing Moses could do was just deposit in people's lives. And do you know what? You and I, all we can do is just deposit Christ into people's lives. We can't save them. Only God can save them. So that's why we must trust the deposit and then let the Lord work on them. Here's number three. We must be concentrating. Concentrating. That's what you've been doing the whole service. <laughs> Some of y'all, the sleep demon's up on your shoulders right now, and he's trying to get a massage in your shoulders like, just do it, close your eyes, you know, and you've been concentrating like this. <sighs> Look at what it says in verse 3. Thou therefore... He tells Timothy again. He didn't say Heath, Silas, Barnabas. He said, you, Timothy, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Let no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs, or no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if any man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. The husbandman... That, that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. And he says, Timothy, think about what I'm telling you, son. Consider what I say, and the Lord give the understanding in all things. No one, no one that witnessed to me when I was lost at 17, 18 years old, no one, no one, I'm telling you, ever told me that I was going to have bad times and I was going to go through troubles and trials. No one that witnessed to me shared with me that I would have valleys and mountains and that I would have heartaches and any, all that stuff. Everybody that witnessed to me always tried to convince me, best thing you'll ever do, you'll have peace like you've never known, it's going to be so great, and Jesus loves you, and, all, and it was all that. No one told me that you're going to have times of difficulty. No one, no one told me when I surrendered to preach. Brother Bill, you didn't tell me either when I came here to be a pastor that I would be woken at 1043 one Sunday night with a family-owned speakerphone to tell my friend goodbye. Nobody told me about that. And sometimes we want to go, I didn't sign up for that. Paul reminds Timothy, he said, son, if you've enlisted, you endure hardness. If you're going to be in this discipleship life, endure hardness as a good soldier. He says, you endure the hardness that comes with enlisting. You avoid at all costs. Look at that next verse right there, verse 4. He said, you avoid at all costs all of the affairs of this world. Don't get twisted up 
when the mangled affairs of this world and let that get to you and mess you up. He said, if you want victory in your life, look at the next verse. You want victory in your life and you want victory in your walk that's here, you've got to do it lawfully and you've got to do it correctly. If you want a crown and you want a reward, then you've got to do it the right way. You can't skip out, fast forward through all this stuff. You've got to do it the right way. And then the other thing he says, if you desire others to be fruitful and others to be disciples of Jesus Christ, you better be a partaker of those fruits, first of all. And he says, think about what I'm telling you. He says, and I'm praying that the Lord give you understanding. That's what Paul understood. Paul understood that he could talk to Timothy till he was blue in the face, tell him all these things. But if the Lord didn't give him the understanding, then Timothy was going to miss it all. You know what? You understand what I'm saying? You tell your kids things till you're blue in the face. But until they realize it and they go, I don't need to do that, it ain't going to happen. They're not going to do it or not do it because you say it. They're going to have to understand it and receive it in their mind and then put it into their actions. Years ago, I can remember praying on my couch and I was asking God, my diabetes, I was 328 pounds. I was wearing a size 56 in the pants and stuff. I was big. And I know that some of you are going, you're bigger than you are now. Yes, I was bigger. And I can remember praying at home. My blood sugar would go to 32 to 300 and something. And my life, I was just tired. I was wore out. Man, I'd come in. I couldn't see because my eyes were dancing and bouncing around because my sugar would be up. Then I couldn't see but anything but tunnel because my sugar would go so low and way down. And I can remember in my couch going, God, please take diabetes. Take this away from me. Take it away from me. Y'all know what I'm talking about, except it's some other thing. Take this away from me. And you're sitting there and you're praying. I promise you, in my spirit, the Lord spoke to me in my heart in an audible voice. He said, you just want me to take all of it away and you don't want to do nothing. And I was, what are you talking about, Willis? What do you mean? He says, faith without works is dead. And so I got up and began to run. Yeah. <laughs> I did. I started running. And I usually didn't run unless things were behind me, chasing me. And I started running. I couldn't run from here to the door without stopping. I had an app that would tell me in my ear, she would go, run. And I, in my mind, I'd go, no. And then she would say, after a minute of running, she'd go, walk. Absolutely. Yes, ma'am. Three minutes. I'd walk three minutes, and I'd run one minute. Walk through, and then she started mixing up. And then she got to where she wanted me to run more and more and more. And there were days that I hated it. There were days, literally, that I wanted to throw up. There were days that I did not want. I'd get up out of the bed at 4 o'clock in the morning every day from March until October. I'd get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, go to the high school, and run around out in the parking lot. And my only hope was to find dollars and quarters that kids have dropped out of their cars. That's my only hope. I hated it. I hated it. Patty would go, are you going tomorrow? And I'd go, No. And that clock would go off, and I'd go, I have to. Because why? Faith without works is dead. I ran like 383 or 387 miles that time. I told him I could have run to Panama City. It would have taken me those many months, but I could have done it. I did all that. I went and ran a race of 10 miles nonstop in, in Washington, D.C. And I'm standing there, and these people have got headphones on, and they're listening to this rock and roll music, pumping themselves up. They're like getting excited like rats, you know, like, ah, you know, they're going to run it out. And I'm sitting over there listening to Jason Crabb. 
And as he's singing about, you know, uh, 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 I'd rather have Jesus, and I'm crying and tears are coming. Why? Because I went from 328 down to 245. Now, don't even look at me and try to adjust what you see now. Don't say you've come up just a little bit since then, Brother Steve. Just mind your own business. I know I have. But the diabetes train, it was just like this. And it was like, we want God to fast forward us through every problem that we have. We are so spoiled with that because we can pause our TVs. We can fast forward our TVs. If we don't like that, we can watch another channel. If we want to watch a movie, we don't even have to go to the blockbuster anymore. A movie gallery to get it, we can watch it on our television. And that's the same way that's crept into our Christianity and our walk today. We want to go, God, this is horrible. This is bad. And I just hate this. Please fast forward us through it all. And God says, no. God says, no. I want you to endure the hardness because I'm teaching you something. He says, son... Daughter, I'm trying to teach you through all of that to depend upon me. I'm trying to teach you that you're going to face these obstacles. And no matter what lying preacher or witness told you, that you'll never have any problems when you come to Jesus. They lied to you. I'm here to tell you the truth. You're going to have problems. Jesus said if the world hated him, they'll hate you. And if the world or he suffered persecution, then you will too. Listen, here's the last thing. We need to be refreshing. How many of you have ever had people come up to you and they go, hey. And your eyes begin to burn. And you go, hello. And they're right here in your face. I just wanted to tell you that I love you. Well, you could have told me a little bit further back. Now, I don't mean offense in that. And the people that are laughing at that, they, they've had that happen. The people that aren't laughing right now, they're the ones that's doing it. No personal space, dragon breath. It's so unrefreshing. You know what I mean? The Bible says that we need to be refreshing people. And I don't mean that about, okay, everybody brush your teeth. and do it. We did a witness thing here years ago, and we made sure to tell everybody before we did it to take peppermints with you when you share the gospel with people. We did that here at church. We told them, take them with you because they don't want your stinking breath as you're sharing Jesus with them. But look at this scripture, and we're going to close. We'll go home. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. Look all the way down to verse 16. He says, Timothy, shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase in the more ungodliness. He said, their word will eat as doth a canker or a sore. Of whom Hymenaeus and Philetius, it says, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some. Paul's ending this thing up, and I will too, by saying, he says, shun profane. In verse 16, shun profane and vain babblings. He says, they will increase into more ungodliness over and over. And if you look at that word, the word profane and vain babblings, there's, there's two of those Greek words that are there. Babbling is, uh, uh, profane is biblios. Not bablios or biblios like Bible, but, but biblios. And it means to just rattle on unholy, unhallowed, and just common things. And what he was saying was, is when you speak to people about the Word of God and their walk with Jesus Christ, he said, don't bring things of the world in that. He said, make sure you stick with truth that's just truth. Don't bring all these other additives of the world into it, profane things, ungodly, unholy things. And what he's saying is, is that you can't tell people on Sunday about God and then on Thursday use his name in vain. He's saying, because I promise you, you continue down that road of profane, unholy, unhallowed things, it will begin to bring more ungodliness into your life, one after another.
And he says that the smallest character in our witness speaks the loudest. Junior Hill years ago was preaching. And Junior Hill is a humble, beautiful, quiet, humble man. Peaceful, meek guy. (laughs) Brother Nathan, he's up there about to preach. And his cell phone goes off. And he opens the cell phone up and he goes, hello. He said, I'm sorry, everybody. Hello. And he would have never done this. Hello. 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 And nobody answered. He hung it up. He put it back in his pocket and the cell phone rang again. And he opened it up and he said, hello. And he was angry. Nobody answered. He took that cell phone and he flung it on that stage and busted that thing up into pieces. And this humble, meek guy has just got everybody's attention like, what is eating Junior Hill? He was, it looked mad. He said, now some of you think that that was a real cell phone, but it wasn't. It was plastic. He said, I was making it go off in my pocket. He said, just to show you an illustration, that the book says in Proverbs, it says, flies in the ointment of the apothecary sendeth forth a stinking savor. In our terminology, dead flies in the bottle of perfume that the perfume maker is making makes it all stink. And he says, so does a folly in a man that's known of good reputation. He said, so does a man's character. And that's what Paul's telling Timothy. He said, profane babblings, put them away from you, son. Don't let it be mentioned. He even gave an illustration. I'm going to go real quick through this. He gave an illustration. He said, there's people in the church here, Hymenaeus and Philetus, in that next verse, verse 17. He said, they're like a sore. They're like a canker. He said, they're like an oozing sore. He said, they're going around and they're sharing a false doctrine with people. He says in verse number 18, he says, their false doctrine is, is that they're telling everybody the resurrection or the rapture's already happened. And y'all have missed the boat. And he said, they're overthrowing the faith of some people. That'd be like Brother Brandon coming over here and telling Brother Nick and his family, oh, the rapture's already taking place and all this stuff. He's spreading lies and he's spreading it like a sore and it's infecting this family. But then we're going to get another family over here and he's going to go, no, that's not the truth. That's not the right thing. The way that Paul's trying to tell Timothy to live like he's trying to tell Heath to live is that you don't have to bring Brandon down and address his profane things that he's talking to Brother Nick his family you just need to stay with the truth and share the truth and then let the Holy Spirit give it to brother Nick and his family see what we want to do is people want to stand up and talk about all these other things and all these other religions and all this stuff and we want to nitpick one another and before long it's you're either Baptist or you're Methodist or you're either Methodist or your church of God and before long we're all divided when we should be called disciples of Jesus Christ Christians of Jesus Christ I had preacher friends of mine years ago because I went and preached at church of God they got mad at me because they were saying what are you going to go over there and preach they speak speak in tongues and you believe you got to speak in tongues to be saved I said no I've never spoken in tongues the Bible says whosoever calls the name of the Lord shall be saved well what are you going to preach I said I'm going to preach Jesus if I preach Jesus I can't go wrong if you went to a satanic church and preached Jesus you can't go wrong but the problem is is that we're too busy nitpicking one another and Paul says Timothy don't get caught up with profane and vain babblings the vain babblings was this word right here I have to look at it kinophania Oh, that's a big one. Kinophania, and it means this. Listen, empty discussions of vain and useless matters. And how many times did you come to the house of worship and stand in the hallway to talk about a stinking football game 
stinking baseball game or basketball game. You come here to worship. This is where you've dedicated where you're going to worship God. Let all those other things that are outside be outside things. That's what Paul tells Timothy. You want to be a Christian? You want to be a good disciple? He said, then you need to be convincing. You need to be strong. But you can only be strong in the grace that's found in Christ Jesus. He said, Timothy, you want to be a good disciple? He said, you need to invest daily into people and stop worrying about big numbers and big crowds and just be the man of God you need to be every day with the people that are in front of you, even if they're a little person or a big person. Even if they're a person with an IQ that reaches higher than the ceiling or one that goes lower than the floor, just every day deposit into their lives. You want to be a good disciple, then you need to be strong. You need to have that strength. You need to be investing. You need to be, what? Concentrating. That's my worst flaw. The hecklers often get me distracted. You need to concentrate on what you're doing. And then last of all, you need to be refreshing. So here's the thing. I'll give you an illustration, and you probably haven't seen it, probably haven't noticed it. We'll skip those other two scriptures right there, but you probably haven't noticed it very much, but the illustration of the movie screen. Yeah, there it is. If we were to take everything about Brother Bill and Sister Peggy individually, and we put that on a projection screen, we put it out there. (laughs) Brother Bill, they'd probably, I know that both of them probably tell you, I don't want everything on there. I want everything on there, and that's all of us. But we're supposed to be imitating Jesus. And if people are watching our lives, because that's what lost people are doing, listen to me. People, lost people aren't reading their Bibles. Lost people aren't reading the gospel tracts unless it's specifically or personally given to them. No, lost people are reading us. They're watching us. And when they see us one way here and another way out there, we're not mimicking Jesus very well, are we? Don't you like it when your kids, at that age where you showed them the the mimic game, where you would say something and they'd say it back? And you'd say, don't repeat me. they go, don't repeat me. Don't say that. Don't say that. They loved it. Man, the smiles that would come on those kids' faces. Because, well, we know, because they knew they was getting under your skin. That's what we're, we're supposed to be mimicking Jesus every day. And so I'm asking you, what does your life show to other people? Are you really a disciple of Jesus? Because if you are, it would show. Don't try to be strong. Let him be strong in you. Because you have the opportunity this morning, if you want to right there where you are, I invite you to come down and pray. We've had many this morning that come down and prayed. I invite you, if you wanted to come and talk to the Lord, you're very welcome to do that. Brandon's going to sing a verse of invitation. But don't you want to do this year? If you haven't invested in anybody in in 2020, don't you want to do something this year? Don't you want to be a disciple of Jesus? Come and pray and say, Lord, help me. Help me to be that disciple that I need to be. I love you all. Let me pray for you. Lord, we thank you for this time.